Hi everyone, Pastor Gregory Bartram here, lead pastor here at Destiny Church, where your history doesn't define your destiny. I just want to welcome you to Your Destiny Podcast. Thanks for listening. And my prayer is that the message that you hear today brings healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy the message. talking about kingdom manifesto kingdom manifesto if you know um we've been talking about kingdom character kingdom character we've already talked about being poor in spirit and today we're going to talk about what it means to mourn to mourn and so uh we're going to talk about the comfort of mourning the comfort of mourning i know that sounds paradoxical it sounds like an oxymoron How in the world can you be comforted by mourning? Only in the kingdom. (laughs) Only in the kingdom can you find comfort in mourning. Amen. So Matthew chapter number five, we're going to begin reading with verse number one. The Bible says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy blessed are the pure pure in heart for they shall see god how many wants to see god i want to see god Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you go back to verse 4 Jesus says blessed are they that mourn well Lord how in the world can we be blessed in the midst of mourning because we get to encounter his comfort I don't believe there's any other way to encounter the comfort and compassion of God like you encounter it when you're going through something that causes you to be sorrowful Amen. And so today, just for a little bit, I want to talk about the comfort of mourning. Father, bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Here in verse number four, we have the second stage of our spiritual blessing. The first stage was that we had to come into the kingdom. How? By being poor in spirit. And how many knows that... Verse 4, mourning is the second stage to our spiritual blessing. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so it's one thing to be spiritually poor. We've already talked about being spiritually poor and, and acknowledging it. It's a whole nother thing to grieve and to mourn over it. I believe that verse 4 and verse 3 are connected together. They go together. They are parallel texts. Amen? They are connected together. So if you are truly spiritually poor in spirit, 
then the secondary consequence of you being impoverished in spirit, you will begin to show a, an expression of mourning. There will be a demonstration of mourning. Why? Because you know how poor in spirit that you are. So mourning is one's response to being poor in spirit. Preacher, how do you know if somebody is, bo- is poor in spirit? You will see them mourn and be sorrowful. Sorrowful for what? That is the question. What will they be sorry for? What will they mourn over? I believe it will be their own sin and the sin of others. Not just our sin and not just the sin of others, but I believe there are certain things that we face in life that causes pain and causes us to mourn. And I want to tell you, every time I've ever done any kind of study when it comes to crying or weeping or tears or mourning, I found out that it's that very thing that attracts God your direction. It's not walking around acting like you got it all together and you don't need nobody and you don't need no help. You can do this by yourself. No, no, no. It's only whenever you begin to be broken in your spirit, broken in your heart, and when you begin to be sorrowful and and, and you begin to mourn and weep and tears begin to flow down your face that God begins to be attracted to you. There's something about this contrite heart, this broken heart that attracts God. Here's why I believe that, because God sees the opportunity to work and move in your life and to display his loving grace and to apply his oil and wine in your life. I want to tell you, there will be some things that we will face in this life that only God can comfort us in. There's only loss of loved ones, things that we face, trials, tribulations, hurt, pain, rejection, betrayal, suffering. All these things will cause us to be broken in a heart and contrite in our spirit. But I want to tell you, that is the thing that causes God to show up in your life and to begin to show you his love and his power and his grace and his presence. Nothing, listen, there's nothing in this life that will ever show you the comfort and the compassion of God like a broken heart and a broken spirit. And I want to tell you, there is nothing in this world that can cause anybody to ever experience the grace and forgiveness of God like mourning over the fact that we are spiritually poor and that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Come on. So mourning here, Jesus, the mourning that Jesus is referring to, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to do some teaching today. The mourning that Jesus is referring here is the response that one has to their, to, to their spiritual poverty, to being poor in spirit. If you and I are truly empty of, of self-significance, if we are void of spiritual or if we're void of this, this selfishness, how many knows there will be this response or expression of mourning in your life? And so I want to I I explain it to you like this. So, so confession, how many's ever heard of confession? Confession is, the, is, is when somebody acknowledges that they are sin, they are a sinner, and that they are sinful, and that they need a savior. It's, it's to acknowledge that that one is sinful and in need of a savior. So how do you know if somebody truly confesses that? Here's what happens. There there will be contrition. Confession plus contrition. Everybody say contrition. 
What does contrition mean? It means this. It means to repent and to be sorrowful for one's sin. So when somebody truly confesses that there will always be contrition for that sin because they got a revelation of how unworthy they are before God and how sinful they are in his presence and that without him they can be nothing or do nothing. And whenever you really get that kind of revelation, it will radically transform your life and you will begin to weep and you will begin to be sorry in your spirit. And that's when God begins to show you his comfort his grace, his mercy and his forgiveness I was thinking about this it's kind of like a child who is in the nursery and it begins to weep and it cries and it's the mother that comes to that baby and picks that baby up, puts that baby in her arms and comforts that child. Why does the mom show up? Because she heard her, her baby begin to weep. And I want to tell you that's how God shows up in our lives because he hears us weep and he knows that's my child and I've got to respond And I want to tell you, every person that comes to this altar and bows their knee and begins to weep in repentance, those are the ones who God will show up, pick them up, and put him in his arms and say, it's going to be okay. You made it home. You're now here, and now you're in my covering, and I got you. And God will comfort them, and God will kiss them with his mercy and his grace, and he will lavish and cascade his love upon their lives. Those are the ones that God shows up for. Not the ones who come to this altar and smites their chest and says, God, I don't need you. I don't need nobody. I just feel real guilty about what I did last night. God's looking for some people that don't just have confession, but they have contrition that weep over their sins and weep over their issues and know that God is the only one that can turn it around and change it. That's what Jesus is talking about. I'm going to get on something because I pray that this can fix us even as believers because I believe one time we cried and one time we were mournful and one time we wept over our sins but today I believe that we have few weepers in the house of God and the Bible says he that is that will win souls will first weep over souls I'm telling you there's got to be a people in the church again that will get between the porch and the altar and begin to weep and wail and cry with anguish over the abominations of the world and over the sins of the people Where are the people that are coming to this altar saying, God, save our nation and begin to weep and to cry over it? This, what what Jesus, listen, I understand what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those that mourn. It's not just people that are sinners that need to mourn. I believe there's people in the today that needs to mourn over their sin again. I believe somebody here today needs to get your tears back. You say, preacher, I don't know where God is. I'm going to tell you, he, he was at the last place you cried. He was at the last place you shed a tear. The Bible says he that, that, that has tears bears precious, precious seed. Your tears are precious. Your tears are the seed of change. Your, your, your tears are the seed of transformation. But did, let me tell you why we don't cry anymore. Here's why we don't cry or weep anymore. 
Jesus has become religious to us and familiar. And we lose the feeling of what it was to be lost and then to be saved. God help us never lose the feeling of what it was to be lost and on our way to hell but then have Jesus sweep down and rescue us out of a pit and save us and change us and turn our lives around, renew our mind, fill us with his spirit and bless us with his grace and his mercy and his love. My God, don't never let us forget it. Don't never let us forget it. We did not get ourselves here. It was only by the grace and mercy and the hand of God that any of us made it this far. The drugs could have taken me out and the car accident could have killed me but if I had not being for the Lord who was on my side I would have not have made it this far and I feel the Holy Ghost and church this is the hour that we need to restore tears back again to the house of God where's your weeping where's your emotion where's the weeping for believers that fail, mess up, and sin because, because we hate sin so bad because we know it breaks his heart. The Lord's been messing with me. One thing that ought to break our hearts is the things that break his heart. And I want to tell you today, sin breaks his heart. Sin, this is a word the church will not preach today and, and the devil is loving it but I'll come to tell you sin breaks God's heart that's why Jesus sent his son to this earth to die on the cross is because you and I were sinners and we needed a savior but God loved us so much that he sent his only God so that while we were yes sinners Jesus died for you and me let us never forget that scene on, on Golgotha's hill, how Jesus was stretched wide and hung high because of you and me. This is what Jesus is saying. If you're going to be in the kingdom, don't lose your tears. I want to say something. You ready? People may not like this. It's your tears that got you in. It's your tears that keep you in. You ain't tough because you don't cry. You're callous. Hard-hearted. Familiar. What we need to pray again is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. We will never see a move of God. We will never see revival until we start praying that prayer. God, break my heart. Every time I'm in worship, let, me, let my heart be broken. Every time I'm in my secret place, let my heart be broken. Every time I go to church, let my heart be broken. Every time I see a sinner bound in chains with sin, God, let my heart be broken because I believe it's time that we restore the burden back in the house of God for those that are lost and without Jesus. I'm saved today. You listen to me. I'm saved today because I had a mother who spent her time beside her bed weeping at her bed because I was in sin. And it was, my, it was my mom's tears that moved the hand of God to capture and rescue my life.
Who cares if I've been in this 22 years? Who cares how many certificates, degrees, or diplomas? If I lose my tears, I've lost it all. And Jesus, listen, do you remember at the beginning of this series, I told you these beatitudes were not for the world? It wasn't even for the the multitudes. It was for his disciples. And he looked at his disciples and said, here's two things you need to always hold on to. Always be poor in spirit and never lose your tears. Never let sin make you so numb to it that you're okay with it. Why in the world are we going to get saved from sin, saved out of sin, and then start playing around with it? What we need to do is get sin out of our lives because it breaks the heart of God. And because it breaks his heart, I weep at my bedside and I weep in my secret place. And my heart is broken because I have sinned against the holy God. I told you at the beginning of this series that we're not, we're, we're, we're really, these, these beatitudes will shake you. They will challenge you. They, they will convict you. We're okay with what everything else that Jesus talks about. We're okay with Jesus healing the sick and casting out devils and walking in authority and power. But what about this verse here? Blessed. Now Jesus has given us the, the keys of what it means to really be blessed. Blessed is not having more money in your bank account. Blessed is not being more secure now than you ever have been before. That's not what blessed is. Jesus said blessed are those who are, who are spiritually poor and those that never lose their tears. They never lose their tears for the sins that they've committed, nor do they lose their tears for the sins that others are committed. They don't lose their tears. They, they stay tender. I, I, this, is, this, is, this is how the Lord has, has taught me this. It is tender surrender. It is us maintaining and steward, stewarding a tender heart before God. Meaning that every time I come into his presence, my heart is so tender. Just a little slight touch. I begin to weep and cry because he's in the room. I'm, my heart is so tender that even when I do mess up, or even when I do fail, or even if I do sin, my heart is so tender that he comes. He doesn't have to chastise me hard. He just comes and says, son, you hurt my heart. And then we begin to weep and cry. Right, listen, my two boys are different than my little Eden. Okay? Sometimes I have to get a little hard with them. They can be hard-headed. But Eden, but Eden, I can just show some seriousness in my face. I say, Eden, why'd you do what you did? That's all I got to say. Won't you marry? I very ever seldom have to whoop that child. All I have to do is speak to her. She loves her daddy so much that I don't have to do much chastising or discipline. I just got to speak to her and deal with what she done and she will literally begin to weep and cry. And you know what that makes me want to do? Weep and cry. And I'll pick her up and I'll hold her. That's what I'm talking, that's God. And then I cry together. But, that, but that's how God does. 
Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we make some mistakes. And sometimes we know we did it, but we want to hide it. But we, but we know we can't hide anything from God. He, he sees everything. Everything's naked and transparent. And he comes to us and says, I saw what you did. And oh, yeah. And he knows the times, the perfect times to deal with you while you're laying in bed and nobody's around and you're in the dark. And all of a sudden, he'll begin to speak to your mind and your heart. And you'll be laying there, and all of a sudden he'll say, why did you do that? That's not who I made you to be. Why did you let that person pressure you into that? Why did you disobey me? Why did you do that? You knew that wasn't right. And if our hearts are tender in the middle of the night, we'll throw the covers off. And we'll find us a place and we'll lay on our faces and say, God, forgive me. And we will repent. And at that moment, he will stretch his arms down and he will pick us up, hold us and weep and cry over us and say, it's okay. I still love you. There's nothing you can do that, you, that could ever change my love for you. And at that moment, he will begin to wipe us and cleanse us and purify us with his grace and his love, for love cast out a multitude of sins. I'm going to give you an illustration of this. Jesus said one day there was two men that came to the temple. The first man was a Pharisee, a religious man. He came into the temple one day, and when he went to the temple, the Bible says he came to the, to the altar of the Lord, and while he was standing there at the altar... He begins to boast and to brag about how righteous he was, how religious, how he obeyed the, the commandments and how that he tithed his, 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 how he tithed everything that came into his life, how, 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 how good of a person that he was. And then he had the audacity to point his finger over at another man who was a publican a tax collector. He pointed and said, Lord, I'm so glad that I'm not like that man over there, the publican. And then Jesus says, but there was another man who was the publican, came to the same altar, was in the same temple. And the Bible says, and but when the publican came to the temple, the Bible says he smites his chest. He smites his chest. And he says, Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner. He didn't point fingers. He didn't come in there acting like he had it all together he smote his chest and said Lord forgive me for I am a sinner and Jesus asked that day who went away from the house of God more justified the, the Pharisee or the publican the religious man or the sinner the only answer to that question was the publican the one who came in smote his chest and said, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner and wept over his sins, not came in with a religious attitude, acting like you got a halo over your head and that you do no wrong. When the fact is, you can fool people, but you cannot fool God. I said, you can fool people, but you cannot fool God. And I want to tell you, the ones that leave justified today are the ones who respond with tears, smiting our chest, saying, God, forgive me. Yes, I messed up. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. God, cleanse me and forgive me. And at that very moment, he'll do that very thing. 
that's what we need to restore back into the house of God. Don't get me wrong, I love his grace, and his grace is boundless. His grace is limitless. His grace is extravagant. But I want to tell you, the only thing that unlocks and, 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 and releases that kind of grace is people that have the right heart and the right mentality, who, have the, who are poor in spirit, who are, not, who are willing to mourn and to be sorrowful, if need be, so that they might encounter that grace. Now listen to me, so I've said a lot, I've said a lot right there just, just to get to this. Confession, which is acknowledging your sin and sinfulness, plus, plus contrition, being repentful and sorrowful with tears and weeping and mourning equals, like, you didn't know you was going, going to math class today, did you? We're doing math today. Confession plus contrition equals comfort. There's only one answer to that. How many knows you can't go and say, well, well but wait a second, two plus, two plus two equals six. No, two plus two equals four. You can't, there's no other answer for that. And when I tell you there's no other response that God has for confession and contrition other than comfort. I'm telling you how to get comfort today. Because some people miss out on comfort because they're not willing to confess it. Not only are they not willing to confess it, but they're not willing to weep over and really feel the bitterness of sin. To really feel the weight of our sin, that our sin was the very reason that crushed the Savior on a cross. We want to live this life without ever looking at that cross, but I want, you to, I want you to look at that cross today, and I want you to look at it hard because there was a man that was hung on a cross who the Bible says in the Old Testament was, so, was beat so bad, so disfigured, you couldn't even recognize him as a man. He was literally ripped up, shredded flesh on a cross. Psalm says... The book of Psalms says that Jesus would be, be beat so bad that you would literally be able to see his organs and his bones through his skin. What kind of man would go through such beatings and, and batterment and, and, and woundings? What kind of man would do that? Here's the kind of man that knows the, the, the seriousness of sin and willing to do whatever it takes to get it out of your life. God knew that the only thing that separated you from him was your sin and he was willing to do whatever it took even if it meant watching his son be brutally killed on an old rugged cross on Calvary's hill. And what the church needs to do is quit placating with sin and begin to get a real revelation again that it was our sin that hung his Savior on a cross and begin to weep over it. And maybe we would see some cleansing and purification again and sanctification and holiness in our life. I lay that before your feet. 
Those that are watching, I lay it before your feet. Oh, let me get on something here. Believers, listen to me. How many believers do I got? Okay. If you raise your hand and you really don't believe, then he knows that. You can fool us, but you can't fool God. Listen, believers do all their mourning in this life. If you're a believer today, you will do all your mourning in this life. And you need to be okay with that. Here's why. But for unbelievers, today's grief is only a foretaste of eternal sorrow. For the believer, the Bible says in Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and eliminate death entirely. No one will mourn or weep any longer. The pain of wounds will no longer exist for the old order has ceased. That's the promise to the believer. Notice, notice what, what, what the promise is. There will come a time that you will feel the gentle hand of God come by your eyes and wipe and say, your weeping is done. Whew. Your sorrow's done. And at that moment, you will never once again in your entire being ever encounter another moment that will ever break your heart. You will never experience what it feels like to have tears run down your face. You'll never, uh, you, there will never ever be another moment where you will ever weep or, or mourn or have sorrow ever again that you won't, you won't know, even know what pain is. Why? Because he's going to wipe it with the swap of his hand. He said, enough is enough. It's over. And in a moment, everything becomes new. But for the unbeliever, but for those that do not believe, those that play around with Jesus, those that are religious, acting like they all right, but truly inside, they're unbelieving. He says this, but woe. That word woe is a very, very, very sober, serious term because it means you better perk up and listen to what I'm saying because it could determine judgment up on your house. Woe is a warning. Judgment could be coming. He said, woe unto you that laugh now. I like how one translation said, party it up now. Woe unto you that can't weep and mourn and cry now. Woe unto you that think all this is, this is fun and games. Woe unto you. This is Jesus. Jesus said, you better enjoy the party while it lasts. You better enjoy the good times. You better enjoy the sex. You better enjoy the fornication. You better enjoy the pleasures of this life, pleasure of sin. You better enjoy it all. You better enjoy the popularity. You better enjoy the money. You better enjoy the career. You better enjoy all these things. 
Because there's some people right now, they'll hear somebody like me preaching and they laugh inside. But I'm going to tell you, there will come a time. And Jesus said, woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall weep and mourn later. The Bible says that one day, if we do not believe in Jesus and if we die and we go to hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. And that is not a joke, baby. That's what Jesus said. That's not what Bartram, Greg Bartram said. That's in the Bible. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Do you know why? Because he did not want one person to ever have to go to hell where there would be wish, weeping and torment and gnashing of teeth. I would rather weep now, saints of God, than I have to weep later. All this week I've been praying, saying, God, don't never let me lose my weeping. You say, preacher, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Good! Because I didn't, church is not to make you feel good. Church is to challenge you so that it might change you. And so that some might repent and turn from their wicked ways and seek after God and be born into this kingdom that I'm talking about. But people, I am convinced inside with everything that I have that there are a lot of people in the church thinking that they're part of the kingdom that are not really. Because they truly did not repent and change their mind. Meaning this, what I once laughed at, I now weep over. Yeah, I remember. I remember all that. Party, party. But now I look at that, and my heart is broken. That's not who I was. I remember laying in the bed. I remember my senior trip to Gatlinburg. As soon as we pulled in into Gatlinburg, I never stopped drinking anything. I never stopped smoking dope the whole time I was there. At the end of that night, I woke up in a bed not knowing where I was or who I was with. Don't know what happened in my life. I remember one time popping Xanax and drinking Jack Daniels. Lost three days of my life. Don't even know where I was, what I was doing. Knowing, listen, knowing inside that if I was to die in that moment, I would have went right to hell. And it wasn't until I got a revelation one day that if I died right now, I would go to hell. And so now that I'm born again, now I don't, I don't look at those things and say, Whoa, bless God, party up, have fun. I look at those things and my heart is broken and I'm weeping over my sins. Weeping over my sins. Why do you think, saints of God, why do you think Jesus had to go through the measures that he had to go through? Your sin. And why we treat it like it's just something, something little and cute. Sin ain't little and sin ain't cute. Sin through Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, on a cross and crushed him there. And until we weep and repent and turn around and change our minds about sin and see sin how God sees sin and begin to weep over it, you're not really born again. 
I want to say it again. If you can't weep over sin, you're not really born again. And that's Bible. I wish you would stop, preacher. No, I'm going to keep going until every, until every person in here is, com- is convinced and convicted and get a new revelation of what sin is. Sin brings forth death. Let me give you some scripture so you know this is not just me saying it. First John 3, 9 through 10, this is amplified. No one who is born of God deliberately, knowingly, habitually practices sin. This is Bible. Meaning if we practice sin, Jesus said in his word, the Holy Spirit inspired it. He said, no one who is born of God deliberately, knowingly, habitually practices sin. Why? Because God's seed, his principle of life, the essence of his righteousness and character remains permanently in him. I looked up when it said God's seed. In the Greek, it's the, it's the word sperma. That's where we get the English word for sperma. Every one of us, that's how you were, that's how you were created. This is Bible. Our children receive our nature and DNA by that. So when, the, when somebody is born again, this is what the Bible's talking about. The Bible says that when you are really born again, you have God's nature, his DNA is in you. And it is, it is unnatural. Listen to me. It is unnatural for somebody who's born of God to practice and, 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 and make it a habit of continuing in sin. That's what, that's what the Bible says. Ready? His seed remains permanently in him who is born again, who is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again cannot, cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he is born of God and longs to please him. I highlighted that. Because when you really get born again, you want to please him. Sin ain't fun to me no more. Why? Because I know it breaks his heart. And when it breaks his heart, it breaks mine. Because when you are born again, your whole entire being is tied up on his pleasure, not yours. By this, watch this. This is in your Bible. This is 1 John 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of of the devil are clearly identified. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, who does not seek God's will and thought, action, and purpose is not of God. Nor is the one who does not unselfishly love his believing brother. We tell you, it's not just you going around sinning and practicing sin. Is if you can't love your brother in church, you're not born of God.
I'm going to keep going. I feel a lot of people getting uncomfortable, so I, I like this. I'm going go, to keep on digging. I'm going to... 1 John 1, 8 through 10. He says, if we, if, we, if we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude ourselves and the truth is not in us. His word does not live in our hearts. If we freely admit, notice that, if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful. That's the good news. You say, preacher, you preach a lot of negative. No, I'm preaching good news right now. It says that when, when you admit and repent over the sins that you have committed, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins, cleanse us, and I love this, continually. Meaning if you, if you sin again, guess what? He'll continually cleanse you. And if you mess up tomorrow, guess what? He'll cleanse you again if you repent. If you say so tender-hearted that if you mess up, it convicts your heart and you quickly repent, just as quick as you repent, he'll cleanse you. That's good news. You can't go around saying, bless God, preacher, he just preached all, all bad stuff today. I'll give you something good. If there's anything I want you to get is how awful sin is. This is the life of one who is born and lives in the kingdom. That's what we see sin like. This is what he says. Continually, he will cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. If we say that we have not sinned, refusing to admit our sins, watch. If we say that we have not sinned, refusing to admit acts of sin, we make him out to be a liar by contradicting him and his word is not in us. It's God, I'm all right. I don't need to repent. Okay? You're right. God's a liar. No, let every man be a liar, but let God be true. That's what we need. I tell you what we need. We need some more men behind the pulpit that will quit placating sin and quit petting sin and begin to speak what God says so that people can truly repent and really be born in the kingdom. And I pray to God that, that this be a season and a time where we would empty ourselves of us and say, God, develop a tender heart in me so that I begin to weep again. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be those who, who learn how to weep over sin that are going to see a move of God. Oh, let me say this. Oh, this messed me up. Matter of fact, it's a scripture. Well, I don't want to get into this. I'll make some people mad when I talk about this. There's a scripture in Ezekiel where Ezekiel who is a prophet, he hears a conversation between God and some of his judging angels. And God is getting ready to release some judgment upon the nation of Israel because of their abominations and rebellion and sin. Angels are getting ready to be released to go and destroy them. But while God is preparing his angels, he hears a cry in the city. And there's men that have gathered together and they're literally weeping and crying, crying and wailing over the abominations of the city. And instead of God sending judgment to those men's house, he sends, he sends an angel with an inkhorn 
And he says, and to go mark them. Go mark them. I don't want judgment to touch them. Why? Because I heard them weeping. I heard them weeping in the streets, in the corners, in the city, in their houses. You know, you know another thing that blew me away? The Bible says that God looked for a man to stand in the gap who would weep and cry. This broke me. And the Bible said, and I couldn't find none. He said, I couldn't find none who would stand in the gap. We know that that would be fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus would be the one who would come and be the one worthy to take the book out of the hand of the him that sits upon the throne. But what an indictment upon the nations of the world when God can't find one man, one woman that would, that would, that would, that would be inconvenienced enough to spend some time between the porch and the altar and weep and cry. It's stuff serious. And we need to get the seriousness back again for this thing. I said we need to get the seriousness again for this. I'm going to close with this. God forbid I leave you on this note. But I do want to read one more scripture. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. The Bible says, I am not sorry that I, this is Paul, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. What Paul's talking about, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church confronting some of the things that they were doing in that church that was not of God. And Paul wrote a harsh, how many's ever wrote a harsh letter? How many's ever wrote a harsh text? But before you seen it, you put the, you pressed delete and you felt better. Yeah. I wrote the email, but I didn't send it. But this is the fact of me writing it made me feel better. Paul, watch. Paul says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Why? Though, at fir- though, though I was sorry at first is what he said. He said, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now, I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you, will not, so, so you were not harmed by us in any way for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, Results in spiritual death. Now I'm gonna read this. <laughs> I'm gonna read this in, in the mess. I don't I rarely ever read anything out of the message translation because it's like really fluffy. And um, I like how Tim Hawkins said one time, you can find the uh, recipe to um, um, Rice Krispie treats in the message about how sugary it is. Um, but I love how it, it translates or paraphrases this scripture in 2 Corinthians 7. This is good. 
This is what it says. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle you made, that hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that... Oh, let me go here. This is not the message. I'm sorry. It says, now... He says, now I'm glad not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into, th- into turning things around. I love that. <laughs> but that you were jarred. Jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result was all gain, no loss. Distress that drives us to God and does does that it turns us around and it gets us back in the way of salvation we never regret the kind of pain but those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets end up on a deathbed of regrets I love how it said that there are times when you need to hear things that jar you to turn things around sometimes God will even allow pain in your life to get your attention. I don't regret that those men on August 5th, 1999, took a gun and held it at my head. I don't regret that. At that moment, it was painful. At that moment, it was scary. At that moment, it, it, it I didn't know if I was going to live or I was going to die. But I thank God for that moment because it's what jarred me to awaken to my senses and to know that I was a sinner and I was in need of a Savior and that I was made for more than what I was doing, that I had a call of God on my life and there was a destiny that God had designed for me. But it was the pain, it was the sorrow. And everyone here today today can testify that it was, you didn't come to Jesus and say, man, you know what? Everything was so good in my life. I just, the only thing I was lacking was Jesus. Every one of us that found Jesus found him broken in a thousand pieces because our, our life messed us up and there was a lot of sorrow and a lot of pain. And we ran to Jesus. It was what we went through that jarred us into his way. Come on, how many will testify? Bless God, I can see the halos. No, 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 no. Every one of us here today were sinners on our way to hell, and it was sorrow and pain that jarred us. Maybe it was the preaching of the gospel. Maybe it was something you faced that jarred you. Yeah, ain't nothing like, there's nothing like a pistol pointing at your forehead to jar you. I told the Lord right there, I didn't care who was listening. I said, Lord, you get me out of here. I'll serve you the rest of my life. Bless God, I did it, and I'm still serving him. I thank God for the jar. I thank God that God reached down, grabbed a hold of me, and said, wake up! There's times when God will grab a hold of you and say, wake up! You young people right now, I want you to listen to this preacher today. I was where you were. If you're not careful, you let people influence you. And I'm saying don't, don't, don't get to the place where you got to be jarred. Do it now. Serve him while you're young. 
Listen to people who are older you who have lived life and don't resist and don't rebel. We're trying to save you from pain. But if you want to be stupid, then you better be tough. I'm talking to this generation because there's a lot of things that want to, that, that want to latch onto you and pull you into hell. You ought to thank God for godly parents. You ought to thank God for a church that tells you the truth, that will sit you down and tell you about yourself. Why? It's not that we hate you. It's that we've been there. And it, all, it almost wrecked our lives. And we're trying to tell you, listen to us. We're trying to save you from being jarred by circumstances of pain and sorrow. Listen. If you won't listen to experience, then you will be taught by pain. I'll tell you right now, if you will smarten yourself up and get some wisdom today, you'll listen to some experience that's in this room. Because if you reject the, the teaching of experience, guess who steps in the classroom? Pain will teach you a big lesson. I, you, I know how teenagers are. Best God, they got, the, they got the world figured out. And best God, we know what we're going to be and we know what we're going to do. But I'm going to tell you, I thought the same thing too. I'll never drink. I'll never smoke a joint. I'll never take drugs. And then all of a sudden, you know, and I was, I was that boastful bragging, thought I had it all together. Yeah. Mel the wrong people after I graduated. Met the wrong people at the, when I Met the wrong people. If God wants to bless you, he'll use people. If the devil wants to kill you, he'll use people. Wrong influences, wrong people, wrong relationships. It only takes one relationship that goes bad that will turn your life upside down. Yeah, one moment I said I'll never smoke dope, I'll never drink, I'll never party. Got with the wrong people, guess what? I was sitting in their living room with a beer in a hand and a joint in another. It went from a beer to a joint, then all of a sudden I was sniffing Xanax. If God didn't save me, I'm going to tell you what would have happened. I would have kept going down, 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 down. But God saw a call on my life. And he said, if I don't jar him now, he'll wreck his life and die and go to hell. And I will not let it. <laughs> I will not let it. The reason why we're here today is God said, I will not let sin ruin them. I will not let pain take them out. I will step in in the middle of it and say enough is enough. They are destined they are called, and I will use them for my glory and for my kingdom. Everybody here, you know if you would have continued on the path, you would have led, you would, you would have been led to destruction, but thank God right in the middle of the path, Jesus showed up and said, where do you think you're going? Where do you think you're going? I got a better future. I got a better plan. I got a better destiny. I've called you. I've named you. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And I ordained you. I wrote your life in a book. And I'm going to see it come to pass. Yeah. And this, let, me, let me just say this to the young people too. Quit worrying about your future. He already got it taken care of. You worry about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and living for him. You won't have to worry about a thing. 
Yeah, I'm telling you the opposite of what your counselors say at school. What are you going to do after you get off school? You know what you need to do when they ask you that next? Serve Jesus. Worship Jesus. Give my life to Jesus. I ain't worried about it. He'll, whatever he wants, he'll lead me. <laughs> Thank God I was jarred. Jarred. If, don't, get, don't get me wrong. For some, for, for some people, it didn't take all that. For some people, Jesus, he just looked at you with disappointment. Like, <laughs> God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't one of them. I wasn't one of them. I had to be jarred. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had to be jarred. I, like, really, some people, you're like, man, they just... Everything, that, why'd you get saved? He was disappointed with me. Me, I remember. I was, this is, I was doing a senior project. Because when you're jarred, how, how many of those you go, you look back and you say, oh my gosh, that was God in that trying to get my attention. I'm sitting here thinking, when I was doing my senior project, I was getting my ultra pilot license. That was my project. And I remember dreading to go to that airstrip because there was a man there who always carried a little Gideon's New Testament Bible. And every morning he would sit me down. He said, before we do anything today, we're going to sit down and we're going to read the Bible. And he would make me read the Romans Road. Yeah. I'd be sitting there but, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And boy, but you know what? Every time I read that, I was so, listen, I wanted senior project to be done so fast so, because of that man. Because every day I was confronted with my sin. But you know what? I believe God knew something was coming. Son, please listen. Daughter, please listen. I don't want to jar you, but I will if I got to. And I remember God was trying to get my attention right then, but I, I, I ignored him. Two weeks before the gun was pointed at my head, my Aunt Teresa calls my mom and dad two weeks before. She's sweeping and she's crying on the phone and she's shaking to her core and saying, saying, Greg, I had a terrible dream about Gregory Atlin. She said, I was in my dream and I saw, I saw they were at this lake and I saw this dirt road and I saw this black truck and they were all partying at this lake and this black truck came up into there. They got out and they shot him and I saw blood all over the lake. And my dad calls me and says, son, you better get over here. God's trying to get your attention. And I remember sitting there laughing and smiling and said, that'll never happen to me. I got this figured out. But that was God trying to get my attention. But I would not listen. Got invited to a party at a lake 
on an old dirt road. And down that dirt road come a black truck. Men, at that time, there was a bridge that blew up because of an accident, and there was men in town from out of town that were working on the bridge. They came to the party. We were all partying. We, lost, we, we ran out of drugs, so we went back to our tent where we were staying at night. We, we just wanted to get into the tent and camp. But they wanted to continue to get high. But what do you do when you don't have drugs to get high? They started huffing gas. When they started huffing gas, they went crazy. They took a boulder, threw it in the tent, broke two of my ribs. Broke two of my ribs. My friend that was with us, they took a tire iron, hit him in the head. He had to get 27 stitches in his head while at the same time pointing a gun at us. I could have gotten saved when I read the, the Romans Road. I could have, but I didn't. I could have taken the little bit more extreme measures of God to get my attention, but I ignored the dream. So what did God do? He had to bring him some men of the enemy to waken and jar me. Even though it hurt, my, I mean it hurt. I, I, we, were in the, in, we were in the woods for eight hours because madmen with guns were trying to kill us. It was painful. At that moment, I'm weeping, I'm crying, I'm hiding, ducking. But now that I look back, I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you so much. Thank you that you jarred me. Thank you. Thank you for the pain. Thank you for the sorrow. And I remember running home to my parents. And I said, i got to give my heart to the Lord. And right there, they led me beside their bed. I got saved, and then after I got saved, I got filled with the Holy Ghost in the same night. And all of a sudden, I got a love for Jesus like I've never had in my whole entire life. And it took a painful moment. Now I know. Listen, you don't understand this if, you don't, if you've never been there. Now I know what, what Jesus meant when he said, blessed. <laughs> blessed are they that mourn. I'm blessed. Blessed in your feet, Father.